And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. John chapter 17, verse 19. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We can only understand the full meaning of the New Testament if we read it in light of the Old Testament that is its backdrop. The, uh, this is especially true um, with this verse from John chapter 17, which on the face of it I find to be, um, actually together with a portion of that gospel we heard, quite difficult to understand. Right? It's got this sort of, there's sort of this tapestry in John 17 of these truths, and we were studying the um, Trinitarian theology and catechism class this morning, and um, one of the great sources for trying to get uh, to see what is it that God wants us to know about himself as Trinity is John 17, because it's the Father giving to the Son, and the Son sending the Spirit, and the name given to the Son, and there's all this interweaving, and that's, it takes um, a lot, I think, a lot of years of meditation to see and receive the truth of this mystical and rich uh, passage. But specifically um, with this verse, Jesus is saying, I consecrate myself, which confused me when I was first thinking on it for this Sunday, as it's confused me in the past. Um, isn't Jesus already holy? Why would he need to be consecrated? Uh, consecrated and sanctified are two English words for the same Greek word. Why, why would Jesus need to be sanctified, consecrated? He's not only is he already holy by nature as the Son of God himself, um, but at his baptism he was sort of appointed for, not sort of, he was appointed for his mission as the Messiah. So what, what's he saying? Well, um, the Old Testament comes to the rescue for understanding this verse. The word consecrate in Greek hagiatso, um, it has a very special meaning in the Old Testament. Um, something I didn't learn until this week because I was kind of scratching around this passage and um, I didn't realize is that this word is always, is always used of things that are set apart for God. I, I knew that. But almost always it's used for things set apart for use for sacrifice. So when you look at all the, all the things in the Old Testament, sometimes it's used of like the Sabbath or a field, but most of the time it's used for um, the priests, the sons of Aaron, and the vessels and furniture of the altar and tabernacle. Like set apart this altar for the burning of the sacrifices and these bowls and these sons of Aaron for the priests. That's when the word is almost always used. A great example would be Leviticus 8.30. Um, Moses consecrated, right, um, Haggai, so Moses consecrated Aaron and his garments, right, both Aaron and the things, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. That's like a characteristic use of the word. Or um, Leviticus 16, 19, just to give one more example. Aaron shall sprinkle some of the blood of the bull on the altar to consecrate it. Right, setting apart these things for sacrifices. The word is used actually 166 times in the Old Testament. So when Jesus says, I consecrate myself, I'm confident that the disciples, knowing their Bibles and knowing their Old Testament, they would have heard something, what they would have received would be something sacrificial is about to happen, right? You consecrate something for a sacrifice, right? Something priestly is about to happen. And indeed, what is the night on which Jesus said these very words? Monday, Thursday, right? It was the night before, it was the very night he was betrayed, and the night before he would make a sacrifice when he hung on the cross for our sins. So when Jesus says, I consecrate myself, he's just giving another framing for the disciples then and now of what was about to happen on Good Friday. 
right? That it wasn't just some mob execution. This was his priestly work of offering a sacrifice. And of course, the mystery of Christ is unlike in the Old Covenant, where you had sons of Aaron sacrificing bulls and goats. Jesus is both the priest, the offerer, and the thing being offered to the Father to atone for our sins. But there's actually even more going on. Um, so, um, the, uh, oh, I missed that bit. Yeah, in, in all of these, um, when, when in the Old Testament it says uh, consecrated, in all of the cases in the Old Testament, the biblical languages have a, th this is okay, a little bit of grammar nerd, here we go. They have a third person imperative, which we don't have in English. We have, you go do something. But in the biblical languages, you can say, it, this thing needs to happen to that thing. I guess that's how we say it. This thing needs to happen to that thing. Um, the consecrations in the Old Testament are always passive in that way. This just needs to be consecrated. No one ever says in the Old Testament, I consecrate, right? Let alone, I consecrate myself, which is what Jesus says. In fact, Leviticus 20 makes plain, the only person who can actively consecrate is God, is Yahweh. I, the Lord, I am the Lord who consecrates you. That's Leviticus 28, 20 verse 8. Um, even Jesus acknowledges in John chapter 10 that he is the one whom the Father has consecrated. So I think when Jesus says, I consecrate myself, not only would the disciples have picked up on, okay, something sacrificial is about to happen, they also would have been taken aback that he was the one consecrating. Right? The same way when Jesus says, I forgive your sins, and all the Jews are like, only God can forgive sins. And I don't think Jesus ever made this facial expression, but I, inwardly there's a sense of, Right? <laughs> Only God can forgive sins, because he is God. So when he says, I consecrate myself, he's also revealing that he is God. Only God can consecrate things like that. So he is God, and he is in the role of the priest making the sacrifice. So part of why I think John 17 is hard to grasp is because all that density is packed in there, and then only against the Old Testament can be like, oh my gosh. Jesus never just says words for saying words, right? He, of all people, he would be the most self, he would have perfect self-control of his speech. He was never just verbose. So he's, these are intentional words that he's communicating to his disciples, that he is God and he's in the role as our priest. We actually benefit from even one more piece of Old Testament background, because when we say priest, as Anglicans, we have a little bit of a hook to hang this on because um, we call the presbyters priests. And you know why? It's because it's on, that word is only used as a metaphor <laughs> for, for an elder because we offer this commemorative, this memorial sacrifice, this remembrance of Golgotha. That's why Anglican pastors are called priests. But to really see what a priest is, we look, well, chiefly at Christ, but we understand even what that word means from the Old Testament. And so there was that wonderful passage which Brad read for us in Exodus chapter 28. Um, listen, listen, listen to this, because it might, it might have slipped by you um, when you first heard it. So Aaron, right, head of the priests, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece. So he's got all these sort of priestly garments. He's got these precious stones. And on the back of each stone is written one of the names of the sons of Israel. On the sons of Israel, in the breastpiece of judgment, on his heart, 
when he goes into the holy, pray, pl- holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Read it again. Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So to understand what a priest is doing, what Jesus is doing, part of why we have the Old Testament still, why we didn't just lop that off when Jesus came, is because to even understand what Jesus is doing, we actually need this sort of mirror image of the Old Testament way. So a priest, they, although they were standing alone in the tabernacle, when the priest went into the, the tabernacle, he was by himself. But he wasn't alone. He wasn't representing just himself. He was bringing with him, in sort of name form, all of the people of Israel. And he was coming into the tabernacle and saying, with all of his ritual gestures, as prescribed in the Old Testament, God, have mercy on all of your people. You see where I'm going already. Jesus, um, sorry, a priest, is like the tip of the iceberg poking out of the murky depths, representing the great mass that is below it. It was true in the Old Covenant, and how much more true is it in the New, with Jesus as our great high priest? So on Thursday, just a few days ago, we commemorated the Ascension, the day when the resurrected Jesus ascended into heaven. And where did he go? The book of Hebrews tells us with the greatest precision. We confess in the creed he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. But where is that? What is that? Hebrews 4.14. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So he's passed through the heavens. He's ascended as a priest. Well, where does a priest go? Hebrews 8 tells us. He is a minister in the holy places in the true tabernacle. So what the Holy Spirit is saying through Hebrews is, Interpret everything you see here, Jesus on the cross, Jesus ascending, with that mirror held up of the old covenant. He is a priest going into the true tabernacle. In fact, Hebrews points out that the tabernacle in the time of Moses and Aaron was actually a copy of the real one in heaven. Right? Jesus actually goes into the real tabernacle, the actual place to minister. And picking up on this thread in Exodus... Jesus is, he's the only, Jesus is the only man in heaven right now, right? We talked a bit about, in catechism, about the strange enigmas in the Bible of Enoch and Elijah, who are also in a way in heaven, but they are not in the same place where Jesus is. They're below that. Jesus is the only man, and he is a man, even as he's fully God, he's the only man in heaven, the only man standing in the presence of God. Let me correct that. He's the only man standing in the presence of God in resurrected flesh. Because, of course, the dead go to be with the Lord, but they're not in their bodies yet. We haven't been, they haven't been raised. It's not the last day. So Jesus is there alone, in a way. But just like Aaron was never alone, he was representing everybody, that's what Jesus is doing. Right? But he doesn't have some breastpiece with stones, sort of as if we were kind of metaphorically on his heart. We are literally on his heart. Right? We are literally incorporated into his body. That's the Christian confession. We are the body of Christ. We've been grafted into his body. We've been united to him in his death and resurrection. So Jesus is up in heaven. That's where he ascended to. He's ministering as a priest 
in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God, and he's representing us to the Father. Not just in sort of precious stones, although we are to him precious stones, but literally in his body, on his heart. He is there interceding on our behalf. So with all that backdrop, listen to John 17, 19 again. For their sake, I consecrate myself so that they also may be sanctified or consecrated. Same word. So Jesus is there as our high priest so that we too can be set apart and made holy for God. That's what he's saying there. And it's a priestly image. Because Jesus is our priest, because of the blood of the um, once and for all sacrifice he shed on Calvary, because he has also ascended to take the merits of that blood up into heaven so that they can be showered down on all who would come to him in faith, we are now set apart as holy. So we, we all know that phrase, in the world but not of, right? I think we, we don't grab the gravity of that phrase. We are now, we've also been set apart. You all are a member of a heavenly people. So we wander about going to Kroger and driving cars and washing dishes, and that's our life, and we do that to the glory of God. But that's not, that's the tiniest part of who we are. We are actually a heavenly people in and not of the world because we've been carried by him in his heart into the heavenly places, he who is our great high priest. Amen.